0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Veterinary Optimist. I'm your host, Jennifer Evans. I'm really excited, like usual. I feel like I say that every time, but I am really excited because today we're kind of diving into part two with Denise Dreyer. On our first episode, we really talked about, was it a bad day or was it just a bad five minutes? And we left the conversation where we knew that we were going to circle back around to what skilling up in those moments looked like. And today we're here to do that. So welcome, Denise. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, I'll go ahead and give the same disclaimer of occasionally we get into our conversations and a cuss word comes out. So I apologize if that happens. Um, And I would also like to say that last time I did not cuss at all. And Denise said two bad words. So um, (laughs) Denise two, Jennifer zero. Um, Okay. That being said, Denise, like let's just jump right into this because One of the things that I really want to make sure that we touch base on from the get-go is that a lot of discussion last time, we talked about a client being disgruntled and how we react to it, right? And I want to make it very clear that it is important for us to set those boundaries in those moments and that it is never okay for a client to treat you poorly, Right, I believe that part of skilling up, which what we're going to talk about today goes along with this, is the ability in those moments to recognize when both of your emotions have gotten out of control and that both of you are are in a space where you're not receiving information from either one of you, right? In that moment, part of skilling up is to to take that beat, to feel that inside of yourself and say, Oh, this is something, this feeling is something I'm not, I'm not comfortable with. I have alarms going off in my body and I need to step away from this situation. And to be in a, in a space where you feel comfortable saying, Miss Jones, I recognize that we're both at a space right now where we're not hearing each other. I need to step away for a few minutes. I will be right back in and hopefully we can continue this conversation in a way where we can both be heard. Denise, when I say that, right, how does that land with you? How do you feel about, about me saying that?
1: I mean, I adore it. <laughs> um, you know, it sounds, it sounds like very, very uh, healthy, you know, communication to me, but we also need to recognize that maybe a client um, might not view that as, as healthy communication. And that's okay because all you can control is yourself, right? So empowering team members to be able to say something like that and claim a space in a respectful, calm, peaceful, right? Caring manner um, is more than okay. As a matter of fact, it should be expected. And if Very the client chance. isn't happy with that, honestly, right, we can't, we just, you know, that that isn't, that isn't going to be part of our consideration if we're expecting team members to practice that.
0: I, I I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more because what's happening is we are setting our boundaries, right? We're saying that for us to be able to continue this exam, for us to be able to continue this appointment, for us to be able to continue treating your animal we have to both be able to talk to each other like human beings and we have to both be able to communicate with each other and what's happening with me is that you're getting upset and now i'm getting upset and i feel like i need to step away and if i don't do that what's going to happen we're going to keep bumping heads until eventually something worse happens and if i don't feel empowered enough by my team and I haven't been skilled up enough by my team to recognize those moments and to be able to say that and actually step away, right? That's, it's only gonna lead to a bigger blow up. And and that's not fair to me, to our clinic, to our culture, to what we're trying to strive for, ultimately for our patients, right? So that's part of the skilling up that we're talking about. Like, what are we having conversations around what it looks like when we get in these moments, right? And furthermore, what does it look like when I step out, right? Because in my mm-hmm. mind, when I step out, and I want you to give your opinion on this, but when I step out, what's happening in those few minutes after I step out? It's either gonna go one way or another. And what does that, in your mind, what does that look like to you?
1: Okay, so yes, this is the key component, right? To taking space. We talked about the safe spaces and in this situation, we're talking about a safe, taking a safe space with a client um what we do in those few minutes is going to dictate our behaviors when we return and i think m- most commonly i would walk out of that exam room i would go to a doctor a coworker somebody and say oh my god this client is insane she just she she's not making any sense she doesn't get it she just you know she's got no money and she's pissed at us And, you know, like, and, and I would just kind of reinforce my stance and my side of the argument and, you know, do that. And then am I in a better place to walk back in that exam room? Absolutely not. But I, I just, I mean, it works. So what is good look like, right? When we're trying to usher practicing, taking that safe space, If you have the opportunity to work in a practice where they're working on culture and giving you the opportunity to have safe space with clients or coworkers, patients, whatever it may be, there is a price. And that's holding yourself accountable to be able to take that space because, damn it, it's a luxury. It is not common right now. And if you are lucky enough to work in a practice where they're working on developing something like this, it is on you to be able to figure out what works for me to emotionally regulate, down-regulate those emotions so that I can go back to that situation and cognitively respond to it versus emotionally react. Um, And so
0: right now you're talking about the accountability of a person stepping out of the room, right? There's an even more like overarching portion of this where there's an accountability of leadership too right because when they talk about when Simon Sinek talks about being in charge he speaks a lot about taking care of the people in your charge right and that is leadership accountability right and, and tell me something because we talk about this you and I talk about this a lot what is the most common thing that we hear when we talk about skilling up employees or creating those words around um creating those words around like I need a beat or I need to take this five minutes right what what do you hear a lot when you talk to leadership about making space for your for your Mm -hmm. teammates to feel comfortable saying that what do
1: you hear a lot yeah so when when that's a suggestion and and uh, I'm not faulting anyone within leadership, practice owners, managers um for their response to this, but most commonly what I hear is if we offer that, we're going to have a ton of people that just take advantage of it all the time. And the workload that we have is too demanding and we we just we can't offer that. Um they're afraid that people will really really, you know, take advantage of it. And so that's a really nice, that's a really nice way to opt out of this <laughs> practice for leadership. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting because all it does is just create more opportunities for client, for you know their team needing this space, in my opinion.
0: It really does, because when we talk about, when we talk about seeking to understand, right, yes. in the grand scheme of things. For leadership who thinks that someone's going to take advantage of it, right? And you you are correct in thinking that there are going to be some people who are going to take advantage of it, but it gives you opportunity to recognize that and to better deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. Is what they're, is the reason why they're dealing with it so much because of something bigger, right? Did they have something, does that teammate have something bigger that they really need to work on? Or is it that we use words so often, and I'm going to give this example, right? We use words like burnout so often. And while I recognize that burnout is a very, very real thing in our profession, I believe sometimes when we take situations like an upset client, a misunderstanding between technicians, a misunderstanding between leadership and a teammate, I sometimes I think it's easier for us to put a label on it of, well, this happened and it's just adding to my burnout. This was catastrophic and now I'm even more burnt out. I can't deal with this and I'm burnt out. When we use that word so often, it's almost like our default word. And then it becomes our reality, right? Like if I'm walking around thinking burnout, 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 catastrophic, 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 that's going to be the life I live in right Mm -hmm. and as part of accountability for leadership you have to take these couple of minutes to better understand is this something that's really catastrophic or is this something that is surface level that has to do specifically with this exam or is this something coming from something bigger right there there is a space where if you don't pay attention to it it's only going to get worse and you're going to run people off right or there's a space where you take those couple minutes and you seek to understand And then all of a sudden you can start finding tools in ways for them to be better prepared in these moments. Would you say that that's a
1: correct statement? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, right, this is another, I'm going to quote my therapist a lot during these podcasts, I I think. So thank you, Ryan. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, Thoughts become things. Right, mm-hmm. and if I'm constantly telling myself, you know, I'm burnout, I'm out, I'm burnout, then yeah, I am burnt out. I will say though, the one thing that you know really, when I hear burnout, when we're talking about self accountability, and burnout is a real thing. I mean, I, it, you know, it absolutely is, and we need to we need as leadership leadership needs to hold space for that and validate that feeling, and um, then dive in a little more. I think probably a lot of the times people are burned out is they're having trouble boundary setting. Right. And you know, you and I talk about the super tech syndrome. Um, and yeah, I, that's when I hear burnout, I think, yes, absolutely. Right. Environment workload, all of those things. But then the second thing I think of is, is there an issue with boundary setting here that I can, that I can help with in some way? Okay. You open
0: that that you open that can of worms. We're gonna dive into it, right? Super <laughs> tech syndrome, right? I don't know that anybody uses this except for you and I. Um, maybe it's like part of just like our code word conversations that we have, but super tech syndrome, in my opinion, is a thing and I was one of them, right? It was easier sometimes for me not to pause in that moment and be accountable for my part in training other people so that eventually. They became trained enough to be a valuable part of our day-to-day needs, right? It was easier for me to just do it myself. It would take less time and I can get from point A to point B. If I get that dog, I hold that dog myself. I do, I give that injection myself and then I move on, right? So then that brings in this um, situation where I have a lot of resentment because I'm doing it all myself. And I feel like I'm pouring from an empty cup because nobody's helping me. And then I look around like it's everybody else's fault that I'm not getting help when really I'm not being accountable for what I should be doing as a senior technician in that practice to train people. And you talk about a vicious cycle, Denise. I mean, when we talk about training in general and how we don't have time for it, Right? Well, we don't have time for it because you're not making time for it. And you're not making time yes. for it because you believe that the few minutes that you're saving by doing that yourself is helping you, is helping you get to the day into the day faster. Yep. But, but what does that serve if you don't want to come back tomorrow because you've done everything yourself? Mm-hmm. What does that serve? No. So does that bring in some of the leadership accountability you're we're talking about? When even when we're talking about someone stepping out of a room and setting a boundary with the client with how they're going to speak to them, like are we holding these these spots of accountability for when technicians are behaving that way, when doctors are behaving that way, a, a lot of this training that we're doing and a lot of the skilling up that we're doing does come
1: down to accountability on many different levels, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Yeah. The super tech syndrome, I think is a, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic because again, you know, having, having, you know, I'm self-identifying as a super tech, uh, but um, it it is, it is praised in a practice. Um, and you know, that feels good to the super tech and right all these things. And it it's all in the name of productivity. Right. And, and those sorts of things. But what does it do to the rest of the team? You know, as a new hire or I'm even in, let's say, six months. And I look at said super tech doing all these things on her own. I'm not that. What does that do to my self-worth and my self-esteem? And then why are these newer employees kind of disengaged and not, you know, one of the common things I hear is, you know, they just, they just don't, you know, they're not as engaged. They just don't care as much. They don't, you know, and it's like, well, geez, you know, God, I wish I could set an IV like Denise does, but Denise hasn't let me set an IV when I work with her in the past three weeks, you know, cause we're always busy and we got to get through it and you know those sorts of things. So yes, back to leadership and that accountability piece is hey part of what I need you to do is tomorrow I don't want you to set one IV unless the person you're working with has struck out two or three times. Right, depending on the case, okay? But It's so easy to say, yeah, but that patient needs that IV right away and we got to get to the next. And it's so easy to do that. But then we have, we have our, you know, our super tech ripe for burnout and resentment. And then we have the rest of the team feeling unworthy, not invested in, and then we're complaining because they're not engaged and invested. And us as leadership is not taking the few
0: minutes to seek to understand why this is happening. It's easy for us to just go with the labels of they're disengaged. Our super tech is, is resentful. Our technician in the room dealing with that client is upset and emotional, right? Like if, if in all of these scenarios, we were taking our accountability as leadership, we would really be able to check in and find out exactly where that's coming from. In
1: my opinion, would you say that that's a true statement? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would. Mm-hmm. I do. I, you know, it's interesting. We can talk about skilling up and I, I want to kind of, you know, I feel like I took that when I, when I used the phrase super tech guy, it kind of, you know, took us into a little bit of a wormhole there. But as much as we talk about like not much of an investment in skilling up on the technical side um, skilling up as far as like emotional intelligence and right. Being able to talk to that super tech and say, I understand we're busy. And I understand that you've been kind of groomed within this environment to produce in the way that you do. um, But it's taking away from building up your teammates so that they can be a better support system for the entire business. What, how is this serving you? Right. Because I, you know, I'm, I don't want to damage my super technician as a leader. I don't want to damage their self-worth, but can I help them dig into finding the value? And I'm going to praise you even more if you take the time to build up this team to your skill level, right? So what am I doing? I'm helping the rest of this team get skilled up technically and I'm helping my super tech Gain the emotional intelligence and understanding so that she values building up other team members. This will benefit our business. I guarantee it. It may feel like a sacrifice, but um, I don't, you know, I just see that as a two bird with one stone, but it's so hard when you're in it, right? To be able to, to take that step back. And, and It is and hard when
0: you're in it. And it's really hard, Denise, when we talk about like, even going back to to that technician being in that room with that client, right? Yes. Coming out, talking to ten other people versus taking a few minutes to seek to understand and better preparing them so that they have the confidence to really step away from that client, take a deep breath, and go back in fulfilled and ready to handle it in a different way. If we think about that, it goes the same for all of these situations that we're talking about, right? What happens when you have resentment in a technician or a technician who feels like they're not being seen or heard right like you have then you have newbies going around to other newbies talking about Denise and how she doesn't offer any opportunity and how I'm never going to get anywhere with her and then you have Denise going around to other senior being the gatekeeper because everybody looks up to you and you're like oh these newbies don't know how to work they don't know what they're doing we don't we're we're never going to get anywhere and and The same way that you're taking a beat with that client is the same way that we should be taking a beat in these moments, right? Part of the accountability is like, we can't come out and talk about that client to 10 different people in the same way that we can't take these moments of being a super tech or being a trainee or being whatever and talk to 10 other people about it. If we're taking those few minutes to open up that conversation, instead of saying they're adults, they'll figure it out. Like if we're taking those few minutes to talk about this conversation, to say, Yes, this is a real life thing. Yes, I hear you. Yes, I see that this is something that you're dealing with. How can we work on it together? If we're not taking those moments, it's only
1: gonna get worse. Absolutely. Absolutely. It brings to mind I was just um I did a little bit of a like an effective communication talk at a clinic and um one one of the when I asked for, you know, people's experiences, there was a technician that said, you know, if something happens within the clinic, and this is a big hospital, uh, something happens within the clinic and then I'll, I'll have five to 10 people within the next hour coming up to me, asking me what's wrong. They want to know the T is the way she phrased it. Mm -hmm. And, um, she's, you know, I could see that like, probably part of that process is some support, right. Maybe a little trauma bonding happening, right. We like to do that sort of thing um They're but she company. was saying right right mm-hmm. um but she was saying after telling the story 10 times I was kind of over it but it sends me right back into that and it kind of you know kind of fucks me up a little bit now I'm you know I was over it and uh now I feel worse so it's such a courageous thing to be able to look at someone who says, Hey, what happened in there and say, Hey, you know what? I need to not relive the story because I want to show up for the next patient in a better mindset. So, um, can we talk about it later? But thanks for asking. I do appreciate, you know, that you want to know and and that you care about me. Um, but if I keep telling the story, it's, it's gonna, it's not going to be good for me. That is a courageous thing to do. Um, And are we setting up our culture for people to be able to do that? Like, hey, what did that doctor say to you? I saw that she, you know, like a lot of that, you know, that gossip that can happen in a clinic is again, right, a way to try to bond um, with each other, but to to empower employees to be able to say, hey, I'm not going to participate in this because I just, it's not going to show up. Or like you and I went into in the last episode, codes. Mm-hmm. Right? Developing a code word for that mm-hmm. in some manner that says, hey, we don't, even if it's just, oh, we don't do that anymore. Right. And you can kind of laugh at it, like, oh, new culture, we don't we don't do that anymore. We're not going to tell the story 10 times, right? That some sort of skill building. Um Within, You know, it starts with leadership for sure, but to be able to empower these employees to not engage in these behaviors that are chronic issues, if they are in the clinic, right? And giving them the skill set to, instead of the fire extinguisher and constantly putting out fires, can we figure out a way to stop the fires from occurring in the first place? mmm
0: I, I I can feel that so deeply, right? Because that's kind of what we're 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 talking about with all of these different things, right? Like these things are happening. We are continuously having miscommunication with clients. We're continuously having an issue with not training newbies properly and then shaming them because they are not where they need to be. We are continuously sitting in a space where we, understand the resentment of the super tech I say understand in air quote right of the super tech who's doing everything because ultimately like we wanted to get through the day too and Denise was capable of helping us get there right so we're sitting in a space where we're allowing it to happen right and if we're not doing something about it we're obviously saying that it's okay and when we talk about as leadership Finding a way to open up these moments to have these conversations these two or three minutes can get to where the more you're checking in and the more you're talking about it and the more you have things in place to help you deal with these these events that we're up against the more that it's going to become less and less of an issue, right? So instead of me going from room one to room four to room six and dealing with every single one of those clients that ultimately are struggling financially or ultimately upset because their baby, their little four-legged family member is sick and they don't understand it, instead of me thinking every single time i can't believe this owners behaving this way i'm going to throw my hands up and go storm around the clinic and tell everybody it's like i'm you're working my leadership's working with me to better understand this of like hey this isn't me this is this is the situation and and i feel empowered to say i'm going to step out for a minute and i'll be back i'm feeling empowered to say my doctor has my back and we've talked about this i'm feeling empowered to go out and find my leadership and say, here's what I'm experiencing. I don't need to go talk to 10 other people about it. I'm not gonna go get 10 other people worked up about it. I'm gonna come find you. I'm gonna tell you what I'm experiencing and you're gonna take a couple minutes without judgment and help me walk through this situation, right? And that becomes less and less and less the more you work at it. The more you hold the the technician accountable for not doing everything themselves, the more that you, allow, you help skill them up to see value in serving other people and not just other animals, the more My and more is. they're going to get better at that. Right. And for me, I think I think that an overarching message with kind of what we're talking about is the accountability of not only the person, but the person in leadership to to create space to have conversation without judgment, to just believe what they're saying and help them get to the next point without, without feeling like the whole world's going to fall apart. To me, that's part of like a big part of this, this skilling up that we're talking about. Yep. You know, it's so, it's much funny. So. so much so. What, what You said something that it, it was either earlier today or, our last conversation or one of the many times that we unpack half of these crazy thoughts that sit in our brains, but <laughs> li- listen, I'll tell you just as easily as I'll tell the listeners, right? Like we can't control our, our thoughts and sometimes they're all over the place. And, and like, sometimes you just need that human to unpack that with, and you are that for me. So I don't know when <laughs> this, was. I don't remember what, what part of this, this was, but um, you talked about doctors in the way that they practice.
1: Can you dig into that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, You know, I think in the veterinary community, and and I'm more than positive, this is true across all industries um, that make money, (laughs) is we're really, especially in the veterinary community, medical, right, practicing medicine, we can we consider that something that we will never perfect and that it will always evolve right and we will go to ce and we will refer to books and we will you know put effort into building new skills learning about new therapies right all of these things and it's a constant practice but i think the biggest pitfall when it comes to trying to build and create a different culture, a better culture, is the tendency is one and done. We had one meeting on communication. We had one meeting on, you know, whatever it may be. And there, we did our part. Can you imagine, right, going, working in a vet clinic and just being like, well, I went, I went to vet school. That's it. One and done. No, it isn't. It's an art. It's a practice. It evolves. You make adjustments depending on situations and the skill set and the knowledge is built over time. And I don't know that we view culture as kind of a fluid, you know, kind of a a fluid process where we have to be agile and keep learning and keep checking in. And, um, gosh, if, if people viewed that the same way, you know, those two things in the same way, I do feel, I know, right. And I know, you know, this too, Jen, that there would be less burnout. There would be less turnover. There would be less of the problems problems are always going to be there but oh my gosh if we would just take the time to put that kind of effort into the human side of veterinary medicine could make the world a better place for a lot of people Mm. so
0: you're saying we should practice being human just as much as we practice medicine yeah right right god i totally agree with you i totally agree with you Yep. And even the, even, the, even the culture aspect of it, and I know we've talked about it a lot today, and I know we've talked about what it looks like to start to skill up the people who are struggling with these kinds of things. But if you do not make it a part of your life, if you do not make it part of your practice, if you do not make it a part of the way that you're showing up every single day, you are going to continue to run into the same problems. What is the definition of insanity? Doing the mm-hmm. same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different outcome, right? We see that this is a problem. We recognize that vet assistants, vet technicians have a five-year lifespan within veterinary medicine. It has been recorded over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. We recognize that clients are going to continue to have misunderstandings. We recognize that you're going to continue to have situations in a clinic where technicians are going to other technicians to unpack things rather than going to leadership, because maybe there's not been a space created for them to unpack it with leadership and feel safe doing it, right? If, if that is continuously happening, why are we not taking a stop, taking a beat, right? <laughs> and and flexing those muscles and getting better at that. Why are we not practicing the human side of medicine when it comes to the humans that are running our clinics?
1: hundred percent. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, the phrase, phrases that I hear when I will have discussions with people, you know, that work in clinic, um, oftentimes are, you know, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm not their parent. I'm not their therapist. Um, you know, kind of, you, you mentioned this, this is a common phrase, they're adults. They should be able to figure it out, right? But we're not providing any kind of space to skill them up on that, right? On courageous conversations and difficult. So that, you know, that take a beat. I need to take a beat. I need to step out. Kind of like Cleo in the last, you know, episode, that that story I shared. Jen, I got to tell you, by the way, a lot of people that listened to that episode texted me and said, I had a Cleo. Like, and the more I tell that story, there's still some shame attached to it for me, for sure. Um, when I, you know, I kind of get teary eyed when I talk about it still to this day, you know, but, Mm -hmm. um, it becomes less and less, the more I share it. And the, the more I know I'm not alone. So knowing that you're not alone, knowing that mistakes are okay. Um, knowing that you can be solution focused after that, um, is so empowering to people and being able to say like, Hey, when you take that beat, what are you going to be able to do to help yourself? Like, you know, I think about box breathing. I wish I would have been able to say, Hey, let's take just a minute to -hmm. do some box breathing Mm -hmm. because I want to just let, let's let your body know that you're not in that situation anymore and I want to have this conversation with you. But honestly, the part of your brain that I need for the conversation is disengaged. You're, in fight, you're in fight or, or fight flight. flight. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go out of fight or flight first. Let's just just on a physiological level. Let's do that. Like, oh, I wish like, you know, I wish I would have been able to do that for my team when I was in practice.
0: That's part of everything we're talking about, like skilling ourselves up as leadership and all of these things. I love that you brought Cleo up again, because I'm actually going to give you my moment of learning from that episode, right? So during this episode, this is I I love that I'm I'm just not afraid to talk about anything, I guess. But during that episode, Denise, we talked about being able to recognize when this emotion is hitting, right? Like when I'm in this room with this client, when I'm having this interaction with this technician, when I feel this Thing inside of me that sounds like, that feels like an alarm going off, right? And I need to be able to recognize when that happens and recognize that whatever comes after this is going to be a reaction based off of this alarm going off to protect myself, right? And we talked about this on this episode. Well, me and my partner were having a conversation, right? Oh. And she said something that to me at the time didn't land right, right? Probably an ego thing, whatever it was at the moment, <laughs> yeah. right? It didn't land right. And I felt that alarm go off. And we had just got through talking about like paying attention to that, right?
1: Yes. And I was like, oh my
0: God, it's happening. can feel the alarm, right? Like this right here is, I'm about to react based off of my ego versus reacting in a way that I want to show up, Right. This is the feeling that I have when that happens, right? And I was able to not respond in that moment. I was able to say, I really need a few minutes. I will come right back to this conversation. And because of that, like I was able to come back and say, when this happened, it triggered this portion of me, this old self of me, my alarm went off. And I did not want to go into fight or flight and give off some sideways comment to uh, justify how I was feeling or make myself right. And I I sat there and it was the weirdest feeling because I was like, oh my God, I mm, just grew. Like so huge. Like I just grew right now. And I did it because I'm trying to pay attention yeah. to these things. And I think that part of this, what we're talking about, these conversations that you can have with your staff, like. Some of that is is what you're going to make space for. Like, hey, yeah, remember this just happened and we got through it and everything was great and it's happening again right now. And we're going to handle it this way because we're prepared for it. And then it's not going to be nearly as bad. And then guess what? The next time it comes around, we're going to be even more prepared because we're working like we're working together as a team to make this a part of how we show up every single day. And I and I think that kind of it almost brings it full circle of everything that we're talking about today. I'll even take it a step further. I'm doing another couple of episodes coming up with this human who has the most beautiful mind. I mean, he is like my Mr. Miyagi when it comes to culture, right?
1: I love it, and I mean that. And I'm
0: I'm so excited for it. I'm going to challenge you to one thing, right? I'm going to challenge you to listen to those episodes, and then you and I circle back after these these two episodes we we've done together. And we're going to talk about how our two episodes folded into how he shows up with his culture and his practice every single day.
1: Mm -hmm. Are you open
0: to that? that. Absolutely.
1: It's a deal. It's a deal for sure.
0: Okay. So let's just do a high level overview of what we've talked about today. We've talked about being empowered to know how to handle situations where we can feel the alarm going off in our bodies. We've talked about holding accountability, not only for ourselves, but as leadership, right? Mm-hmm. We've talked about we've talked about better understanding superhero syndrome and thinking that one can do all in the a way that we almost weaponize that kind of mentality, right? And then we talk about how we have to continuously work at it and continuously hold space to check in and seek to understand uh, so that we can better show up in the way that we want our culture or
1: as a team to show up for ourselves and for our clients every single day. 100%. I, I, Jen, you, you said something beautiful. I don't mean to make this episode too long, but when you said, um, I, right. I was, my ego stepped in, right. I was operating out of ego. Okay. Being self-aware and knowing what that means and knowing like when that's stepping in is such a key component. And if you have team members who that would be a complete foreign language to them. We've got to start teaching this language. We have to start, there are tons of resources out there, you know, like emotional intelligence. You can, you know, just someone can, two modules. Hey, I want you to listen to this. If you've got empower, you know, imposter syndrome, or, you know, if they are operating out of ego a lot, super tech, Jen, Denise, right, right. A lot of those things like, hey, I think this is getting in the way of your growth. And I want to be able to use this language with you. Like, I just love how you brought that into the conversation. Again, on a personal level, all this shit's going to help us in our personal lives too. And we're all fucked up and that's okay. We just have to learn how to be like less,
0: less fucked up each time. (laughs) And we can help (laughs) do that together. In my opinion, right? Like, That's what we're in it for. Like we're showing up for each other every single day so that we can be a better version of ourselves. And so that we can not only do that for us in a clinic, but we can do that for these clients and ultimately do it for the patients because no matter how you slice it, animals do not run the practice. We are not, we are humans with human emotions, human feelings, human experiences. And if we are not working on that, we are not gonna get anywhere. We're going to be in the same spot we are right now. And I promise you, life is not getting any easier, right? We have natural disaster disaster after natural disaster. We have COVID, we have inflation. We have the fact that it, like we can't even walk out of our house right now in Texas without feeling like we're gonna be fried to an egg right? Like mm-hmm. all of that stuff like really starts to build up
1: on you. Like we have to, we have to pause and make space for it. We have to, we do, we do. Yeah. The, the good old days of, um, Hey, leave your work stuff at home or leave your personal life at home. And you know, that sort of thing, it's kind of just like telling people like, don't bring your whole self. But then we look at them and say, wait, you're not as engaged as you need to be. You're not as dedicated. You're not, right? And it's kind of like, well, wait, is that, is that the millennials fault? Mm -hmm. Or is it our fault? You know, Mm -hmm. so. So so you have opened up a can of
0: worms because we've got plenty of conversation around general, uh, around generational bias coming up. We have plenty of conversations around actually bringing your whole self to work. And what does that look like for like, LGBTQ plus people of color, all of these people who have a much different lived experience. And if we have this blocker saying, leave that at home, then your full self is not showing up and you cannot expect for them not to be fully engaged. Oh, okay. We're just creating more and more pathway for us to continue our conversation. So I'm going to stop it right here. I'm going to say thank you for your time. Thank you for your brain. Thank you for being present with me in these moments so that we can talk some of these things out. And I only hope that, um, some of our conversation will reach other people and allow them to open their, their, their space up a little bit more too.
1: 100%. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jen. I honor everything you're doing and I'm honored to call you a friend, girl.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll do it together, my friend. Yep. We'll do it together. Yep.